on this week's episode movies movies and more movies this thanksgiving weekend how the guardians of the galaxy plans for christmas and just how good was andor all this and more as we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos welcome to the pop culture cosmos and we're back with another episode of the pop culture cosmos this is gerald glassford from pop culture cosmos game source inside sports fantasy football and the lakers fast break we truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our great shows. And if you can, please give us that five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Plus, if you can like, share, subscribe, follow, or do whatever it is that you can to support us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos, the Lakers Fast Break, Game Source, Inside Sports Fantasy Football. Of course, everyone at the Demolition Force every Monday that goes ahead and reaches out there with the land of tabletop RPG, and of course, the best tabletop RPG action on the weekends with Vampires and Vitae. Of course, while Beyond the Witchlight, part of the Wizards and Wine Emporium, we have a ton of tabletop RPG games related to the Pop Culture Cosmos universe, so please check out and support and subscribe to all of those great entities right there for you. Plus, also as well, we cover the latest news and trends in pop culture right there for you at the Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook and, of course, popculturecosmos.com. And I just want to tell you a little secret. Melinda and I have been working on something behind the scenes. That's right. Something really good, something really different in the land of tabletop RPG. So we're excited to go ahead and debut that here in the coming weeks. But if you could support all of that, it is sincerely appreciated. But it wouldn't be a pop culture cosmos without my good friend and stepping in for the happy hoarder who's at the Waco Convention Center right now selling his wares is a good friend indeed. You know, she's the mastermind and the better half of the PCC multiverse every Friday. You got to check out what she's doing today at the Wizards of Wine, Wild Beyond the Witchlight, of course, Vampires and Vitae. And of course, everything that she does to terrorize her husband each and every day, it is my good friend. It is Melinda Barkhouse-Ross. And Melinda, I hope you are having a great weekend. I will say that after our late Thursday night taping, or late after the Thanksgiving party, as the Thanksgiving party was still going on in my house, <laughs> I had to actually step outside and still sing you 2 on the karaoke after hand. And I was even worried today that I wouldn't even have any voice because I scored a 99 out of 100. I'm shocked there's no video, that there's no audio of this, Gerald. What a mistake on your part, man. No, actually wasn't. If you actually heard it, you <laughs> can't even realize how I got a 99 out of 100. I don't think it's based off of musical note accuracy. I think it's based off how much personality put into it. So I stopped hitting or at least stopped trying to hit the high notes. I started trying to hit it for a comedic value, and I scored big. Atta guy, atta guy. When we played Weekend at Strahd's, there's a lot of music involved in that particular one shot, and uh, I sang. So my incredible vocal skills are on the internet. Yours ought to be as well. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. 
next time i just may do it i just may do it indeed next time we go karaoke which could be around christmas time you never know next time okay my family has a karaoke event we'll go ahead and do that i am not too ashamed to go ahead and put my awful voice out there as you've seen for 600 episodes (laughs) i'm not too embarrassed about that but we've got a great show lined up for you today we'll be talking a lot of tv and movies on today's show got a lot of stuff to go over in fact we've got a lot of detail to break down as far as the box office is concerned this was the biggest weekend in a long time for a lot of movies out there there's some highs and there's some lows when it concerns the box office. I really want to go into detail with Melinda on that because there's some really interesting subjects to talk about for the movie scene this weekend at the Thanksgiving box office. So we'll talk about that. Plus also as well, a ton of TV, including Disney Plus, exploding with a whole bunch of content out there, including the Willow TV series. We'll talk about that. Also as well, the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Ooh, was that good? Was that interesting? Is it worth your time? We'll talk about how Kevin Bacon fits into all this. That's coming up as well. Plus also Andor season one just finished. And I will tell you why for the umpteenth time on this show, why you need to check it out, how it closed out in generalities, because I know a lot of people have not caught it yet. So we'll go ahead and touch on that. And horror movies migrating over to television series with Chucky. Season two, now in the books. Is it something that is really going to work? That's something Melinda asked before the show. And we'll see if we can answer that question coming up on the show as well. Plus The Vow, season two on HBO Max, just ended its six-episode run. I'll tell you why you need to check out the series on the show as well. But first, my friend, it is the box office. Some very interesting things. Of course, Black Panther still dominating the box office for now until Avatar The Way of Water comes out here in a couple weeks or so. But right now, it's looking like the Black Panther Wakanda Forever train as far as keeping on riding. It looks like it's garnered over $350 million domestically. and looks like it's going to be a pretty good hit for Disney and Marvel, looking like it's going to probably generate anywhere from 800 to $1 billion in its final run. So definitely a, a great thing for Marvel and Disney. Your thoughts on this? It's third week. It's holding strong, and it seems to be doing well. And some of these other movies not doing as well, which we'll go into here in a second. Well, I mean, I if there's nothing better out there or if there's nothing that people want to see more then that's not a bad thing. It just means that the studios should be paying attention to the types of movies that are drawing audiences. Of course, Black Panther Wakanda Forever is a sensational movie. But when you talk about a movie that's been already out for three weeks that a lot of people have already caught, and you have a movie by Disney that's just released in Strange World, which just came out to mediocre reviews and is tanking, seriously at the box office it is not even performing well at all and actually will probably finish number two at best but it is actually the final numbers are not out yet but it's probably going to finish well under the 30 to 40 million dollars that it was projected to do which for a movie which cost well over 100 million dollars to produce is definitely another loser the thing is for Disney, as it changed over, we talked about this on the Friday show with the big shakeup at the top between the Bobs, as far as that's concerned. 
please go ahead and check out that episode. It was a really great discussion. I think that strange world represents something that could be a possibility down the road as far as all the animated movies for Disney or a majority of them moving to Disney Plus because this movie probably would have been a hit on Disney Plus, probably would have gotten a better uh, chance at advertising, things of that nature. The advertising and promotion leading up to this film was absolutely horrid. Very few advertisements were shown on it. The press leading into it was very minimal at best. I think that this was probably a very poor job of promoting this movie by Disney, which we have seen not too many times before. Usually they're very good about promoting their movies. They did a sensational job of promoting Black Panther Wakanda Forever. So your thoughts on this, because Strange World, after the earlier misfire that was Lightyear by Pixar, I think that Disney and animated films, unless it's something that they can really see as a hit, they may start to veer off into Disney Plus only territory. Yeah, it seems like that's uh, probably what's going to happen. I mean, we know that they missed a massive opportunity at the box office with Turning Red. And perhaps that has made them a little bit, uh, you know, cautious about. Because that's the one that should have been in the box office because that was a huge hit on Disney Plus. Or maybe it was a huge hit on Disney Plus because it just went to Disney Plus. Yeah, it could be. That, That may be it. But, you know, it's. It's one of those situations at this point where they need to make a decision and they need to make some sort of commitment as to what people can expect and where they can expect to see these new animated movies. Is it going to go to Disney Plus? Is that a bonus that I get for being a subscriber to Disney Plus? Am I going to give you a little bit extra money to be able to not have to go to a movie theater? Or, you know, am I going to be able to buy movie theater tickets through my Disney Plus account to go to a movie theater? You know, there's a lot of different ways that they could approach this to try to make things a a little bit better and a little bit more consistent, I think. Well, again, with all the stuff that's going on with Disney and Disney Plus, I know we're focusing more on them today. There's also some Netflix we'll mix in here in a second, but... The thing is, with all the stuff that they got going on right now, you know, you've got Strange World that tanked, you've got Black Panther Wakanda Forever, you've got Avatar Way of Water movie coming out next month, then you've got, of course, Andor, which just finished, Guardians of the Galaxy, the holiday special, and Willow TV series, plus you've got Disenchanted, all of those dropped, plus the Limitless Chris Hemsworth series, that's all this influx of Disney right there for you. I know we talked about how I've bashed Disney for not having enough content. Now it's a situation where some of this content I think could have been spread out a little bit better, a little bit more evenly. Feel like I feel like the toast of Disney could have been spread out with the butter spread out a little bit more so that it was a more even mix than some of those areas where there was some weak points in this coverage, in the schedule that they had over the course of the past year could have been filled up by some of this great content and some of this not so great content that they're having right now. Yeah, I think some of the frustration is, you know, those four, five, six weeks periods where there aren't any new shows. Uh, Willow would have been great for them. Willow, yeah, absolutely. Uh, or what Strange a great, World. What a great thing to have leading up to Christmas, the Willow series. You know, I, I, I feel like that one may be a little bit too early. It should have come out maybe mid-December 
And then, you know, people could have sat down when they had enough of Hallmark movies and, uh, you know, took in the Willow series. I'm afraid that that's going to get really bowed under because Andor, however great it is, is not getting, from what I'm hearing, the rumors are it's not getting great numbers viewing-wise, even though it's getting great critical reception. Willow may meet that same fate just because there's so much going on at Disney right now. Yeah, and that's, I think perhaps what we may see happen through to the end of the year. It could just be, uh, you know, riding the ship, correcting course, and, you know, kind of clearing the plate or clearing the slate, I guess is the correct term, clearing the slate and getting ready to start fresh in, in 2023. This could be what we're seeing them doing is just getting everything out and, and getting things off of the plate. That's true. And they've got several Star Wars series coming up next year. But for now, I'm back to the box office, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Very encouraged by the great showing for that. I know the offset is, of course, Strange World really doing some bad numbers for a, a very highly budgeted movie. The movies on the other end, as far as what is being reported on, are The Fablemans, which is the Steven Spielberg semi-biographical movie. It's based a lot on his early life. The Fablemans, which is going to be probably in the running for Best Picture, still about 700 theaters. These critically acclaimed movies like that, The Banshees of Inisherin, those movies are doing good, but they're not doing great. So I think that's an issue there. The Chosen Season 3, that was a premiere event for Fathom Events, that has actually been doing good on a per theater basis. And of course, the one movie a lot of people are talking about that is in a limited number of theaters, also about 700 theaters, is a Netflix film. It's if you're familiar with Knives Out, Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery, is doing real well. It's supposedly right now on a per theater average leading the box office in limited run. It's something that's going to be not very much in theaters for very long because, of course, it's got a debut on Netflix here in a not-too-distant future. But it's earning high praise and also as well high dollars for the limited amount. Your thoughts on this? Could this success of Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery, lead to a different perspective for Netflix on how it releases these big budgeted films they have? I mean, maybe. I, I can't see why it wouldn't. Any new business tactic that is going to bring people back to your service is correct. Mm -hmm. You know, so if releasing it limited in very specific theaters, and what would be really cool, in my opinion, I could be wrong on this, but if they released it in little tiny theaters in smaller towns and let it build like from true grassroots up to the point where it gets released on Netflix and then it hits Netflix and it just goes like wildfire. Yeah. Uh, I think that's very clever. That's a very smart way to do it. Well, I will say that I would probably try to release it, a movie like that. Same thing with the gray man, the gray man, they put in very limited theaters uh, for a very limited run. And then they showed it on Netflix. I would have for at least two weeks put it on maybe a couple thousand theaters, made it for big, huge release, see what you got out of it, and then two weeks later or three weeks later, put it out on Netflix. I think that's probably what I would have done just to see what I can do to get that kind of inference of a big budget feel because Netflix paid a huge, huge amount, well over, I think, $400, 500000000 million for the next two Knives Out films. Plus, they spent $200 million on The Gray Man. 
I really think that's great for Netflix viewers as far as getting these these films with only a limited release and then obviously getting them shortly thereafter. But I really think releasing them in a larger span, at least for a couple weeks run or maybe even like a month, would really service them as a, a, a I think for a, not I'm going to say cash strap because they've got a lot of money to spend, but they're usually not very well profited as far as because they're having so much content that they have to produce. Sure. But I think maybe you may see this approach to how they're, they're doing the movies with the limited release. You may see that ramp up a little bit if it continues to be a successful endeavor for them. This could be, you know, a bit of a, a pilot for that kind of situation. It's a very interesting box office, I'm telling you right now, because then, like I said, you've got Wakanda Forever doing very well, Strange World that looks like uh, reportedly with its $180 million budget, it's going to be a big failure for Disney. Then you've got Devotion with Jonathan Majors, that World War II movies put out by Sony. Got actually, I saw more ads on this than Strange World. And unfortunately, it's not doing that strongly at the box office. Looks like it's probably only going to be generating about 10 to 12 million in its first weekend. Then you have the menu that's been a holdover that's done pretty good as far as what we've seen with this interesting concept. A lower budget movie, though, with Ray Fiennes cooking for you on an uh, isolated island that I guess uh, leads to very horrific results, per se, for the entire party that's there to go ahead and supposedly enjoy the food then you have the fablemans like i said earning pretty decent at per theaters but it's something i think that may not expand wide enough soon enough because it might get snowed over by avatar coming up and it may only see a type of return on a box office revenue only when it's announced as a most likely candidate for a picture of the year then you've got you know, a whole slew of movies after that. But right now, the fact that people are going back to the box office, not all of them are going back to the box office, but enough to make at least the theaters a stronger event than it was before. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's going to be a slow rebuild for all of those movie theaters and movie especially theater those art house, Especially those art house movies. The, the art house movies and the over 50 or the romantic comedies, those movies have been really slow to get an audience to come back to. Yeah, and and I think that that's that is where they should be looking at, you know, maybe attempting that slow build with those smaller houses, and then hitting hitting a, a streaming service it doesn't necessarily have to be Netflix; it could be any of them. But perhaps that would be a different way to approach that. And as the box office starts to get stronger, the time between box office and Netflix could get a little bit longer, and then eventually people just get used to going back to the movies again. I think we're so used to just staying in our jammies and sitting on the couch, to be honest. That's true. That's true indeed. But what are your thoughts out there on this weekend at the box office? A very interesting box office, to say least, with the highs and the successes of the Black Panther, Wakanda Forever movie, the Fablemans doing okay, some other critically acclaimed movies doing okay, plus the success and limited release of Glass Onion, and also as well the failures of Strange World, disappointment of devotion and also the continuance of black adam and the menu please let us know your thoughts on thanksgiving box office weekend pop culture cosmos at yahoo.com for the latest news and information analysis and opinions on the los angeles lakers and the nba check out the lakers fast break podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts
my friend. There's still much more to talk about on today's show. We mentioned the Willow TV series. Do you have any memories of Willow when it came out in the 80s? Oh, my gosh. I do, but they are so incredibly vague. Like, I, I don't, because that was the movie that Tom Cruise was in, right? No, that was uh, that was not. Willow yeah. is something with, uh, is one with Warwick Davis and Val Kilmer. Right. Okay. Yes. Val Kilmer. Okay. Thank you. Um, like I have, I have like vague flashes, very vague. Legend like was the one with Tom Cruise. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I just, it, yeah. Anyway, they're very vague and they're obviously movies that I never went back to, um, as I grew up and now in my adult years. Well, the only thing is, though, with Willow, it is a Lucasfilm property. Mm -hmm. Everybody forgets about that as far as being a Lucasfilm property. It's like, oh, yeah, that's right. George Lucas produced that film. So it's a property that I guess Disney has had in in dormancy for quite a bit of time, but they wanted to go ahead and revisit. They wanted to go ahead and revisit that fantasy world, so to speak. And you coming from that background with your tremendous time spent in the realm of Dungeons and Dragons, Vampires and Vitae, Wild Beyond the Witchlight, Wizards of Wine. Something that, a possibility you might want to get back into with Willow, the TV series? Oh, I plan to absolutely check it out. I mean, at this point, my I have to get to it to watch it. <laughs> List is huge. I, I imagine uh, Christmas Day, and I'm, I know down in the US, you guys don't have this holiday but christmas day and boxing day i probably am not going to leave the couch and it will probably be you know committed tv time uh, much to the chagrin of everyone around me but deal with it i have to get caught up on everything that happened this year that i didn't get to watch and the willow tv series is is definitely one that i have my eye on to watch Okay, fair enough. But will Robbie mm-hmm. have to come over in case you need to go anywhere for any reason on those days and just like have to lift you up in case because, you know, you're like glued to the couch for two days? Yeah, just- I imagine there will be a full body imprint of myself on the couch. Okay, memory yeah. foam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go, indeed. But, you know, Willow, again, is a series I'm wishing well for. I'm not sure it's going to get that kind of uh, traction audience wise i don't know how well or well it's not going to do we've seen the successes of lord of the rings and also as well game of thrones getting back to that fantasy world will it piggyback off that fantasy world success is there a possibility i mean those are a little bit more harder edge for those series than what i think will is going to be able to do because it's under the disney of course yeah, But is it something where you think that, okay, I have my Game of Thrones fix, I have my Lord of the Rings fix, I still want some fantasy, I'm thinking maybe checking out Willow? Yeah, I, I can see that jump. Um, I think that Willow obviously isn't going to ha- ha- be as adult or graphic as Game of Thrones, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes you just need a, a, a little fantasy escape and something that is uh, easy to munch on while you enjoy your snacks on the couch is exactly what you need. Sometimes anything Game of Thrones related is a little bit too heavy and a little bit too, I, I'm going to use the word frank. <laughs> Try childbirth. Yeah, childbirth and Willow is probably going to look vastly different than childbirthing. Oh my gosh. In Game of Thrones. Yeah, that was a horrific scene. Oh my goodness. Which yeah. one? They did two, remember, in that season. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the first one okay. was absolutely okay. horrific. Well, they were both horrific, but yeah. yeah. 
Anyway, Game of Thrones, you got me again. (laughs) (laughs) So I just, I don't imagine that Willow is going to be a difficult watch is what I'm trying to say. You're not going to have to stop it and, you know, explain to someone who may be a bit younger in the room what is happening or why it's happening or, or anything like that. Not that you should be watching Game of Thrones with your young children, but, you know, if that is something that you do watch with your kids, then I do hope that you're stopping and explaining some things. But I don't think that you're going to have to do that so much with Willow. I think you're going to be able to put it put it on and enjoy it and, uh, you know, have the whole family around with their separate little tubs of popcorn and uh, M&Ms mixed in and just have a good time in front of the TV. That's what these kinds of shows are about. You know who I'm happiest most for when it comes to the Willow TV series? Warwick, Warwick Davis. Oh, my gosh, right? Back in the spotlight again is someone mm-hmm. that it was much beloved back in the day. Did a few projects, uh, obviously because of you know his popularity that time. Everybody seemed to be going ahead and gravitating towards things that he was doing and involved with, because you know he was a major part of, of Willow, of course, one of the lead stars. Then he you know evolved into some work with Star Wars and other projects, but then he started to fade away in pop culture, and it's so hard sometimes to get back into the limelight when it concerns pop culture, because you know we as a as a culture just kind of forgets about people from time to time. And it's really hard for them to go ahead and, you know, no matter how brilliant they are to go ahead and regain the limelight. But with Willow, it looks like that Warwick Davis is once again, regaining the spotlight and it's much well-deserved because I think that someone that an actor who doesn't have a history of controversy or tainted stuff behind him or anything that that's hanging over his head. It's just that, He's been out of the sequence for a while, but he's getting back into it. And it looks like he never lost any of the ability so far from what I've seen from Willow. It's one of those things too, I imagine, where you get a taste of that level of success and that level of popularity. Mm-hmm. And then that slowly starts to fade away. And I can, I can imagine how that must like internally feel. And I can imagine it being quite devastating to a life. Yeah. You know, to, to have all of that and then to have it just fade away for through no actions of your own. And, you know, for, you know, apparently no reason, just you're just not working. You're just not uh, in vogue, I suppose, is the the term. Exactly. And that yeah. can easily happen in Hollywood. But mm-hmm. I'm very glad for him. And uh, this high fantasy series, I hope it works. Will it have the type of charismatic character that Val Kilmer was at that time as far as someone new coming to the place to help support Warwick Davis? There's a cast of characters with them. None of them are really name actors per se that have a you know a, a great following behind them. And maybe that's a good thing so that we can actually get the, a surprise uh, as far as an actor or actress that can actually stand out amongst this crew that actually can help the series flow and become bigger and, and better than what a lot of people anticipate. Because again, a lot of stuff is coming on the way for Disney and Disney TV plus and right there for you right now with so many things I've already mentioned and we'll mention here up on the back half of the show. I really think right now that, that it does stand an uphill battle, but I think it's one that if it's good enough, People will go out of their way to watch. Yeah, I I agree with that. And remember when they were doing Game of Thrones and they would occasionally do an episode in the theater and people could buy tickets and go watch. This could be that level of series. I, I do believe that. Maybe not for the first season 
or as we get closer to the season finale, that could be that could be something that could be feasible uh, for the series. And and I hope that they achieve that level of success. Well, that's something I wanted. And I know that Disney Plus right now with Dancing with the Stars and then it just finished Andor uh, doesn't have a Marvel series right now. The, the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special replaces that. But it's great that now that, that Disney has all this stuff. I'm just hoping that some of the stuff does not get buried that doesn't deserve to be buried right now. I just like to see a little bit more organization in the way that Disney presents its stuff. Again, having a, a, a series like Willow on a Monday, then doing a Disney Star Wars show on Wednesday, and then doing a Disney Marvel show on Friday. I'd love to see them space it out. They try to cram things in right now. If they just tried to space things out just even a little bit during the course of the week, I think that would serve them a lot better. Yeah, and I think that now that uh, original Bob is back, uh, that may be an adjustment that we see when we come into 2023. I really do think that they're just taking everything that's on the plate and they're just cleaning off what's left. Mm -hmm. And they're just getting it out and they're just having a clean plate to start 2023. I hope so. I hope so. Because again, you know, with the properties that are there and the ideas that they're doing and that the ideas that they're coming up with, I think that there is a great future for Disney Plus as it hones in on its own as a sole entity to close to 200 million subscribers. It's still, I think, around 160 or so. But combined with ESPN and Hulu, it's now above what Netflix does. But there will soon come a day, I believe, that Disney Plus will be on its way to becoming maybe passing Netflix at some point in time. It's only 60 million away. The future as being the number one entity in and of itself may not be that far away. That's very true. But it could start with Willow, the TV series starring Warwick Davis. If you've got a chance to check out the first episode of Willow, please let us know your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. And if you're ready to talk toys, I haven't stopped talking toys. Let's get to it. It's the Jay and Rob Toy Show, and we're back for season two for 10 more episodes of Toy Talking Goodness. And this time, we talk Marvel figures, we talk DC figures, holy grails, play sets, what if scenarios, and so much more. But we're not alone. We've brought a few friends with us this time. All that, and of course, our action figure spotlight. So check out the Jay and Rob Toy Show season two, exclusively on Jinx Esports TV Canada. We've got so much more to talk about on the back half of the show. Once again, it's Melinda Barkhouse Ross and me, Gerald Glassford. Melinda, please check out the stuff that she does each and every week with Vampires and Vitae, with Wild Beyond the Witchlight, part of the Wizards and Wine Emporium. She's there for Demolition Force. And we've got a secret project in the tabletop RPG realm that we're going to be debuting here in the next few weeks. So I'm looking forward to that as well. But Melinda, great things to talk about still on this show. Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special by one of the new heads of DC in James Gunn. Obviously, this is a spiritual successor to the Star Wars. Much talked about, much not beloved much now beloved Star Wars holiday special. <laughs> right. Yes. It's, it, well put, by the way. <laughs> I, well, I mean, at the time it was really bad and mm-hmm. I have seen it and it is really bad. And you could tell that they were all contractually obligated to be a part of that trash. <laughs> there's no, there's no way getting around it. And I understand that, that George Lucas tried to hide it 
you know, somewhere deep in the archives after it was out there because he even realized how bad it was. But now that it's become a cult classic and, you know, the tape trading days for it, because when it was a very rare entity out there and then all of a sudden it's, you know, a lot of people have seen it now. It's kind of much a, a joke or a meme at this point in time. It has now evolved into, I guess, a precursor to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 coming out next year. This holiday special focuses in on Star-Lord and his, his being bummed by, obviously, what happened with Gamora. Her death initially, the Gamora from 2014 coming in, not gelling with Star-Lord the way the other Gamora did. And now he's he's really heartbroken about it. So leading into a I guess the a Christmas time, I guess his his pals, the Guardians of the Galaxy, try to cheer him up. They kidnap Kevin Bacon and bring yeah. him to <laughs> Atlanta. And the, you know, if you got a chance to see it, it is exactly how it lays itself out in the trailer. As far as Mantis and Drax, we have this great idea to go ahead and kidnap Kevin Bacon, who is so much talked about, especially on the first. Guardians of the Galaxy. I can just tell the fun and enjoyment that they had as far as filming it. It seemed at times though, like like Dave Bautista might have been a little bit low key, but there are times though that they looked like they really enjoyed filming this part of the Guardians of the Galaxy. That's just further confirmation that if you're enjoying the project that you're working on, the people that are going to watch it are also going to enjoy said project. Yeah. Perhaps if the Star Wars stuff didn't feel like a contractual obligation, it may have been a little bit more fun, you know, instead of becoming the, the cult classic that it is now. But For altogether different reasons. Yeah, exactly. So it's good to see actors just enjoying the part and enjoying each other and enjoying the, the script and, and the work that they're doing. So two thumbs up for that already. I want to ask you, though, is this possibly a way to go for Marvel to continue on with these one-off special presentations? I wouldn't be surprised if they're doing these special presentations to see which properties have potential life outside of phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four, phase mm -hmm. five. It could be something to tide you over between phases. It could become you know, the next series that they put into development because it's done so well on a streaming service, uh, things like that. I wouldn't be surprised if these special one-offs are testing grounds for some of the more obscure Marvel stuff. Absolutely. And yeah, I, I think that's something we might be seeing because there's more, seeing more of anyways, because there could be, from what I'm hearing, possibly in a rumorville that a Silver Surfer one-off special presentation before fantastic four hits there's rumors that deadpool before the purchase by fox that was filmed a christmas special of their own that could be resurfacing at some point in time down the line we could be seeing that plus like you said characters that you don't feel worthy of spanning a whole six seven episode series for or a big 250 million dollar movie for might be better suited by introducing them in a one-off special presentation. 
Yeah, and it could be one of those things where, uh, you know, I they may not put much stock in a character, but they want to test it to see if the character is going to resonate with an audience and they find out that it does better than they expect. And you could see that developed into something bigger down the road. I mean, these people are no dummies when it comes to development and stuff like that. So if I've already jumped to that conclusion, I'm sure they did like four years ago. <laughs> well, I, I'm telling you right now with the success of Werewolf by Night. Yeah. I think that's really what got the ball rolling even more on that. So I expect a lot more one-off special presentations in the future. I think it only enhances the Disney Plus brand. It only enhances the Marvel brand. I think it's probably a better way to go sometimes than just putting out there another six-episode series because Phase 4 has really, at times, been very problematic with the series. Some of its series, some of its episodes have been thrown out there by, by Marvel and just not been that good be quite right. honest with you some of the series especially that came out this year were really mixed bags at best so i'm really thinking that probably that's the way to go for many of these characters in the marvel cinematic universe that they want to go ahead and introduce especially with secret wars on the horizon is doing these one-off special presentations i think that's really the way to go for many of these cases yeah absolutely i agree what are your thoughts out there on guardians of the galaxy the holiday special are you celebrating the holidays with the folks from the Guardians of the Galaxy and Kevin Bacon? Six degrees of Kevin Bacon. How many degrees can you go ahead and mention when it comes to the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special? Please let us know your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Well, before we head on out, my friend, Andor, season one, just concluded. And to quote the great Melinda Barkhouse Ross, oh, man. I'm telling you, the way it ended with a funeral that was key to the whole plot of the first season and how it affects the future of what Cassian Andor will be doing and, and what it affects his motivation for being part of the rebellion going forward is key to this. It ended up on such a momentous note. Left a couple things out that were dropped during the course of the series or really didn't touch on it enough that I needed some sort of closure on that are probably going to be explained more in season two i don't want to go into spoilers because that does get into spoiler details what it does focus on in the last episode is clearly the motivations for andor joining the rebellion becoming part of the rebellion and allowing him the opportunity to go ahead and decide which path he wants to choose Honestly, it wasn't a show that was on my radar, but the way that you have spoken about it and uh, the way that you continue to say that it's consistently been a really great series, it's now uh, very close to the top of my must-watch list, and it it is a series that I want to be able to sit down take in over a couple of days I, I don't want to sit down and watch an episode and then not get to come back to it for like four weeks so um it's one of those ones that i'm saving for when i have the time to sit down and pay attention to it and not be working on a podcast or not be working on a new logo or whatever well, so believe me it's worth it it is mm. worth it i wish though it would have been 10 episodes instead of 12 i mentioned before that there are a couple filler episodes that i think were not needed that don't really help the overall plot all that much and i think that was just some filler asked by disney to put in there i think if this had been 10 episodes it would probably be strongly considered one of the best television shows of the year point blank it still is in many outlets ign absolutely loves it 
I absolutely love it. I just think that it would have been much more enhanced had it just kind of condensed itself just a little bit or in the two filler episodes fleshed out some of the plot lines that they were talking about earlier in the series flesh that out even more. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's that's a rare thing these days, especially because, you know, a, a season can be six episodes and you're left going. I was just getting used to all of the characters, let alone the storyline, and you cut it off in six episodes. So to know that it's 12 and maybe there are a couple of episodes that are like, eh, okay, episodes, I mean, that's still fine. You know, as I've said before, a shopping episode or a beach day episode is often needed it gives the audience a break and it gives the the story a moment to kind of marinate in its sauces and uh, really develop a nice flavor through the rest of the stew it's been a very critically lauded series not as much attended i think i've not heard any breakout numbers or people lauding its numbers so connie always worries me on that as far as the the following is concerned but it looks like the season two will go ahead because of the the acclaim that is received I really think that what it will delve into for season two is going to be something that it, it can't be that long of a series because of the fact you already know what happens to Andor and Rogue One. Right. No spoilers there, but you, if you haven't seen the movie in the past six years, then I don't know what you've been doing. But yeah, yeah too bad. <laughs> exactly. So you know what happens to Andor in Rogue One. So there's got to be a fine point where the beginning of Rogue One starts and where season one of Andor ends. And, it, you know, that that season two or I don't know how much they can longer they can make it probably just two seasons where they can really just fill out exactly what he's doing and where it comes to. I just think that it's good now that they're fleshing out these characters. I'm just hopeful that one day Star Wars can create critically acclaimed series in the Star Wars universe that doesn't necessitate having to go back and touch on one of its previous films. I'm hopeful for the day they can create new stories within the Star Wars universe that can resonate as well with an audience as well critically as Andor has with its audience this season. Yeah, I think that they have found something special with that particular like branch of the story of Star Wars. And I'm sure that there are dozens of other options for other characters that they can bring out. I, I like to call uh, them obscure NPCs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's very nerdy table talk talk. But that is something that I think is worth an examination when it comes to these giant universes like Star Wars, where you have these obscure characters who come in and they're part of a very significant piece of the story, but you don't know the story of that character. So you get a chance to go and explore that. I, I think that that's good storytelling. I think it's smart storytelling. And I think it's a way to keep the Star Wars brand, not that it has any danger of dying anytime soon, but it it gives it legs and it gives it a bit more life, I think. Well, but again, I still want to see something new and fresh. And I know the movies that are coming up eventually in the next two or three years, more more likely three years, as far as the Star Wars universe, because they're building new stories beyond the Skywalker saga, because even the Mandalorian and or everything else, even the High Republic stories, they all relate something to the Skywalker saga, even if it's loosely based. But everything upcoming, all the shows that they have coming up next year in the Star Wars universe, they all relate to something vaguely, even remotely, to the Skywalker saga. It's it's not until we get to these new movies Mm -hmm. that are coming two or three years down the line, do we get to something new and fresh, a new universe in Star Wars, 
So hopefully by then we'll actually be able to go ahead and finally do ourselves away with all the past Star Wars because there's going to come a point where, okay, I've seen this, I fleshed it out. I think the recent uh, anthology series about the Jedi, Tales of the Jedi, I think that was it for me because when I saw it, they're very short. It's very, it's six episodes, but they're very short episodes. But I really did found out after I watched it, I really didn't need to see it. I really didn't even want to see it because all it did was flesh out the movie prequels, which at the time and still for the most part, nobody really likes. I didn't really want to know about Master Yaddle or everything like that was going on beforehand. I just want to know about good stories being told in a universe consistently for future references, not just always on the past. Yeah, once you get to where the movies have ended and then yeah. you you start to you have to start building the the universe forward instead of trying to backfill backstory. Yes. Do you know what I mean? So once you once you start to get to that point, I think that we may see some really interesting stuff. It's probably going to be stuff that a lot of people have a hard time swallowing because it's not going to feature all of those familiar characters that are so beloved. Yeah. But it is going to give us an opportunity to discover brand new ones and a, a chance to find new characters to obsess over and debate and all of that. So I, I think it's I think it's going to be great. And I'm I'm here for the future of Star Wars. I am as well, but for now, we're getting the past of Star Wars, and <laughs> yeah. at least it's good when it concerns Andor, and I'm looking forward to seeing what season two will bring. Season one was really, really good. Could have been better with 10 episodes instead of 12, and a couple of plot points, I guess they're saving. They're putting on ice until season two, but outside of that, the season finale was very, very good, very strong, a great way to go ahead and end season one of Andor. Look at forward to season two. It is relying on the past of Star Wars, but at least it's darn good. Share us your thoughts on Andor. Do you think it's darn good as well? Let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. If you're in the Las Vegas and Henderson areas and are looking to buy, sell, or trade the best in classic or current video games and pop culture collectibles, there's no better place to go than Retro City Games. From Xbox to PlayStation, Nintendo to Atari, the great crew at Retro City Games provides the best place to go for all your gaming options. Stop by their two awesome locations in Henderson and also the Las Vegas Strip, or follow Retro City Games on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest deals and new items. Without a doubt, there's no better place to go for your gaming needs than your friends at Retro City Games. My friend, before we head on out, two last shows I want to cover. Chucky Season 2 just ended, and I'm hearing some thoughts about a rumblings already about a Season 3 for this. And the thing that you brought up, I think that was most important that I really want to touch on is the fact that not only is it doing okay uh, at coming off the heels of another horror movie series in The Purge, which did not do that well, I think on its run on sci-fi, I think it got canceled already after a, I think, a middling run of a season or two on sci-fi, not very well thought of. Now you have Chucky, which I guess is pretty entertaining from what I'm seeing and the comments and reports on the, and that, that it's doing okay for Universal, Peacock, and all the like. Your thoughts on this, though, how much really can it translate? Because you can only do so much unless you're going to go all gore out like you're on Game of Thrones, because you know Game of Thrones has no shame. 
I'm not sure a, a movie series from what I've seen of it, Chucky is going all out like it does in the films. Can horror movies really translate into a television series? Can they be populated and can they be done the right way that will get audiences to migrate over for these films? Well, and that's, uh, and I've been thinking about it ever since we had that quick chat before we went live here. And I think there are a couple of opinions that I've kind of percolated in the back of my head. And oh, the, watch out. I know, be, be careful. <laughs> the, the first is that perhaps there is a place for a short form horror series. Because I, I started to think about Cabinet of Curiosities, which is on Netflix right now. And I mean, that is very different. It's, it's not, you know, a consistent story. It's different directors. It's different everything, right? As you go through it and watch it. But because it was so short, I found the couple of episodes that I have watched were very poignant and they've stayed with me. So maybe that's something that will work in terms of horror. I just wonder if, the Chucky series is so successful because the, all of the Chucky stuff has been so tongue in cheek. Yeah. You know? That could be and a possibility. It, yeah. And it's comedic horror. Does that make sense? Is that a thing? I, I don't know because I'm not yeah, a horror no, that, fan myself. No, but. That, that's, a, that's a good way to say it. Yeah. So I, I just wonder if it hasn't found success because it has landed right in that pocket and you can watch it and you get your, your horror fix, perhaps a jump scare or two and uh, at the very least, a couple of chuckles out of an episode. And if that's what it's delivering to horror fans and they are eating it up, then why not continue to feed it to them, you know? Well, uh, it's so tough, though, that when it concerns already existing horror properties on the movies, such as a Friday mm -hmm. the 13th, a, uh, you know, like we just saw with Halloween, them transferring over Friday the 13th. Did you know that I was actually a series? I remember that vaguely as a syndicated series, but it wasn't touching on the same tropes and themes as the Friday the 13th movie series. It's actually touching on these two antiquity dealers trying to save the world from these, these cursed antiquities more or less. So that's what right. they, how they dealt with it. So it was, it was a completely different, than the Friday the 13th slasher, you know, uh, Freddy Krueger series. Do a Freddy mm -hmm. Krueger series, a Nightmare on Elm Street series. I don't know if, they, you know, th those movies, which have been so much a staple of, of horror movies, really could translate well. But I think we're, maybe the Nightmare on Elm Street could, because it could it follow the same comedic humor style that uh, chucky does but you know an actual friday the 13th based off the friday the 13th movies an actual halloween based off of the jason Voorhees and you know michael myers is of the world for those those characters i don't think that they could translate very well into a tv series those guys because they lack the humor of a chucky or a freddy krueger could translate well into a tv series yeah, and, and that's kind of where I'm landing is perhaps there there is a very specific niche type of horror that can translate to short form storytelling, like per episode, like, for example, a Jason series, for my limited knowledge, you wouldn't have Jason in every single episode. Yeah. Right. And my concern there would be you would have a Freddy Krueger or a Jason series and the episodes would start to feel formulaic. 
Yeah. You know, like it, they would become predictable, which is the opposite of what you really want to have in, in a horror movie, right? But with the Chucky stuff, perhaps that is okay if it becomes formulaic because you have that level of comedy in it and the formula can become part of the comedy. Certainly, I guess that's right when it concerns a Chucky TV series. So yeah. <laughs> there could be a Chucky season three. So if you really want a Chucky season three, let us know your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Well, my friend, it's been a great episode. We're almost on out of here. But the last thing I wanted to recommend to you, if you ever get a chance and you're on HBO Max, is a series called The Vow. I originally covered it during the pandemic in 2020. It was covering the Nexium cult as far as a, a self-help group, a, a major organization, whatever you want to say about it, led by the cult, quote unquote, leader, Keith Raniere. That first season was captivating. It's some of the best docu-series as far as that whole laid out series I've ever seen. And that was just a great year for docu-series and documentary. I know there was a whole ton of documentaries and docu-series that came out in 2020, Tiger King, Class Action Park, that were really captivating to audiences. The Vow was one of them because it touched on something as far as the real life aspect of it about people trying to escape the horrors of what was going on with this Nexium and and all the DOS and, and all the stuff that was going on as far as the controversy there and all the, the horrible things that were being done, but also the self-help and positive things that that were also being done there, oh, being overshadowed by all the, the devious things that were going on there. Season two focuses on, on after the capture and arrest of leader Keith Ranieri in Mexico, leads into the court trial of Keith Ranieri and also the associates, namely Keith Ranieri and his number two, Nancy Salzman. Hearing her story panned out was... You know, she was also this guy, Keith Ranieri, he was basically with his words, his thoughts, his speech was able to manipulate dozens and dozens up to hundreds and thousands of people with his words and got to the point where he was using it for his own nefarious deeds. And the way he was manipulating even as vice president, even as number two, Nancy Salzman, you also feel, especially in season two, you feel sorry for her as she starts to explain her side of things. And and she realizes the mistakes she made because she was, you know, so mind warped by this guy, Keith Ranieri. It ultimately comes to a sentence for him of about, a, I think, 120 years in a federal prison for him. And I think for the, some of the main associates that were involved in this, this sex trafficking ring and the whole nine yards as far as the branding and all that stuff that was done, this this nefarious stuff i think a lot of them are involved that are serving some type of jail time but you really in season two they had uh, i guess uh, some issues to deal with because they can't bring you uh, the live stuff that went on in the courtroom so they had to recreate a lot of audio they had to recreate a lot of steps they had to limited access to some of the individuals that did not want to come in front of the camera but they were found a way, the producers of The Vow found a way to go ahead and still tell this ending of the Nexium story, and the Nexium controversy from both sides, the, the supporters that Keith Ranieri still has, and also the, the legion of individuals that escaped the Nexium brand that have really negative things to say about it. It was just such a fascinating season two. Uh, for whatever limited resources they were able to use, they were still able to play it out over six episodes. And I really enjoyed it almost as much as season one. And I really give that a compliment because of the fact, again, 
They had all these things that they could do and, and resources they could test to in season one. With season two, it was much more limited, but they were still able to pull it off. Yeah, and, and that's a credit to, you know, good storytelling and sticking to facts instead of, you know, sensationalizing. We can't do this, but we can take well, the transcripts really, and we can, yeah. you know. They recreated um, the audio. They used actual the government uh, evidence photos. They, they yeah. pushed it all together. They got some interviews from some of the individuals involved. They got some of the people who did flip. They now saw the light and, and they've got individuals that are still supporting Keith Raniere. They still went ahead and, you know, you saw their reasonings why. It ended up very, very good for me. I'm waiting to see the dramatization by Hollywood on this, but still it can't get much better than what I saw from the bow. Yeah, and perhaps with this documentary, we don't necessarily need the story to be retold in Hollywood oh, it terms. Will be. It will be. Yeah, but it doesn't need it doesn't need to be like we we don't need to sensationalize something that was so dark and so bizarre and so odd. But you know they will. Yeah, we know they will. <laughs> I mean, you know they will. I mean, uh, okay, uh, a self help organization which becomes a worldwide organization which had individuals from all walks of life, including the entertainment industry, Hollywood industry. One of the mm -hmm. major implicators that was named was a former actress on Smallville. So yeah, yeah there's too much there. There's just yeah. too much there. It's going to be touched upon. I, I would give it like three or four, maybe five years of rest before you actually touch back on it. But yeah, if you do it right, it would be a hell of a miniseries. Somewhere in Hollywood, there's a writer going, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> this is so dark. You can't, so dark. You can't write this. You can't write no. the stuff that went on. But please, if you have HBO Max, I truly recommend going through both seasons. It's about, I think the first season is eight to 10 episodes. And the second season is six episodes. It's a great watch. Absolutely a great watch about People who were, were involved, believed 100% of what this guy was telling them, then understood, saw the light, tried to escape the cult, the danger involved in doing it. It's very interesting, shocking at times, and very, uh, I guess, educational, informative about how anyone in any walk of life can get sucked into this. If you think you're above it, guess again after watching The Bow. Yeah, and, and I think that that's... Perhaps one of the takeaways from the series is that anybody can get sucked into any kind of situation. You just have to be talking to the right person at the right time and having the right conversation. And it's it's pretty scary, really. But it is a very recommended watch. It was one of my best shows of 2020 or best things of pop culture in 2020. And season two is not that far behind. But what are your thoughts out there on The Vow as season two ends? It's a series that has to end. I'm sure it will be told again in a dramatization form at some time down the line. But what are your thoughts on the docuseries The Vow? Let us know your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Well, my friend, it's been a great episode. You knocked it out of the park. All my best and all our best to Josh, who hopefully is not just sitting there at the Waco Convention Center just waiting for somebody to buy. I'm hoping he sells out of his entire stock at the Waco Convention Center. But any last thoughts before we head on out? Last thoughts, last thoughts. Yes, if I was Marvel, I would be doing those little releases to test stuff. And then I would decide based on those little tests what deserved a little bit more attention. I think that that's incredibly smart. I think it's incredibly smart as well. I think that's yeah. a very good point. And I think that's why 
you are the better half of the PCC <laughs> multiverse coming out this Friday. So we'll have more stuff to talk about. Don't forget, not this week, but next week, we will be having our holiday gift guides. So Melinda, start to get your holiday gifts together. Not just the ones you want your husband to get you, but some good pop culture holiday gifts. Well, okay, maybe you want those two for... <laughs> well, <laughs> just ask Robbie, but get your holiday gifts together so we can create a holiday gift guide next week. How about that? You got it. All right. Sounds great. But go ahead and check us out on Friday. We've got a ton more stuff to talk about in pop culture on the PC Multiverse. But thank you so much for watching and listening. Truly appreciate you being part of the pop culture cosmos. So for Melinda Barkhouse Ross, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the pop culture cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.